Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey everyone, I'm Ian DeVorha, and welcome to IMDb's Movies That Changed My Life, a podcast where your favorite stars break down the films that made them who they are today. This week's guest is actor Sarah Chalk. You may know Sarah as Dr. Elliot Reed from Scrubs, or her many voice acting roles on shows like Rick and Morty. But she joins me today to chat about her role in Netflix's breakout hit, Firefly Lane. Sarah and I talk about landing her role on Roseanne, gag reels on Scrubs, and the movies that changed her life. If you're enjoying the show and haven't given us a review yet, please do or join the conversation on social media with the hashtag Movies That Changed My Life. Thanks again for listening. Here's Movies That Changed My Life with Sarah Chalk. Sarah, thank you so much for joining Movies That Changed My Life today. Uh, I'm very excited to talk to you about the three movies that changed your life. But before we get to that, we have to talk about Firefly Lane. Huge breakout show. I mean, Netflix always has a few breakout shows a year that seem to come out of nowhere. Like people kind of see a trailer and then once it hits the service, it's all over the place. And Firefly Lane is absolutely one of those. I mean, it was, uh, you know, number one on Netflix. I think we were looking, it was number one on the Nielsen streaming rankings. It got to number two on IMDb movie meter. I mean, what is that like? It's so crazy and it's so exciting. And it's, um, you know, we finished shooting it so long ago. We actually finished like right before lockdown and before all of this began. And so we were kind of you know, anticipating it getting out there and for the world to get to see it. So it's so exciting that it finally is and that people are responding. I think part of it, you know, is just the fact that there's such a nostalgia factor and you can really just escape into something positive. And uh, and so I think the timing of it was was pretty cool for us. Yeah, I mean, it's nostalgic on like multiple levels, right? It goes from the 70s into the 80s into the 90s and then just, you know, the early 2000s even. So was that fun sort of getting to revisit? I mean, obviously you're not in the 70s sequences, but was it fun getting to revisit all these like different periods of life from the fashion to the music and the way people talk and, you know, what people are doing to rebel in various times in their life? How was that for you? Oh, it was the best part. It was one of the things I was the most excited about going into it was, you know, getting to play a character at 20 and then at 40. And, you know, especially the fact that one of the characters is in the 80s, because that's one of my own personal favorite decades. Um, I have a drawer over there just like full of an explosion of pink acid wash, although like a lot of my stuff from the 80s that I saved. And my kids have like a dress up clothes drawer, but then they have a specific 80s dress up drawer. Uh, And so... That was like our first couple days of work was just playing dress up in the hair and makeup trailer and trying on, you know, 
like 12 different wigs and, and hairstyles <laughs> and more hairspray, less hairspray, more feathers, more bigger earrings, more blue eyeshadow. Um, so that piece, it was so cool. And then just to try and physically get into character and play somebody that age and how you, you know, you bounce into a room as opposed to going like, ah, oh, my knee's kind of sore today. And, <laughs> and um, so we, uh, we had, we had so much fun with that. And it was fun to try and figure out like, okay, so what, you know, about Kate did she leave behind and what did she carry through? Because at 20, you know, she's very kind of uncomfortable in her own skin and awkward. Mm-hmm. And then she really comes into her own and figures out what she wants in life. But then there's still pieces of that, as she's stepping out into dating and like stepping way out of her comfort zone where that awkwardness and that vulnerability kind of like weaves back in. Um, so yeah, it was kind of a rare and unique and really fun experience to get to play somebody in those different decades. The Tully to your Kate is uh Catherine Heigl and you two have such great chemistry on, on, on screen together. Um, do you go into the role knowing she was already going to play Tully or what was that uh, process like from when you were cast and then finding out you're going to be working with Catherine? Yeah, she was cast first and we actually were connected by a mutual friend, Dulé Hill, who called me and said, my good friend Katie is, is going to be going to um, uh, Vancouver to shoot Firefly Lane, this Netflix series. And then um, it was about a month later that I got the script in my inbox and just fell in love with it, in love with the part, in love with the concept. I loved the idea that it was going to be this show centered around this really strong female friendship, Mm -hmm. um, which we so rarely see portrayed. And uh, yeah, just kind of wanted to be a part of it immediately. The strong female friendship across many ages, like the core of the story. Is that why you think it resonated really well with people? I think, you know, I think there's a few things that people grabbed onto. I think that the friendship aspect of it, for sure, because Mm -hmm. I think this is the time when we're all just missing our friends so much. I had so many people um, reach out to me saying, like, it just made me want to, you know, pick up the phone (laughs) and call my best friend or have a Zoom or you know, meet them far away and wave across the street. Um, And I think also just, I had a lot of people reach out to me and say, I had no idea how much I needed a really good laugh and a really good cry. And um, to just, you know, escape into something for a while. And then I think the nostalgia factor for sure, I think the music is so fun. The music is like a Mm -hmm. whole other character in the show and every episode is named after a song. And, um, and, uh, and, you know, the and then having the different eras and i think maybe it's also interesting that they're you know none of the eras are today so it's like <laughs> a complete covid escape because this is not even it's like way 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 before it even existed so we didn't have to you know there was nothing worked into it of like masks and so it kind of was an right. ability to just forget about that and leave that behind for a minute Right. I mean, I didn't even really realize it was 2003 until in the first episode when your character is interviewing for her new role and you're like, I'm hip. I know all the lyrics to Into Club. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, that is like oh. such a timepiece of music at that time. Do you really know the words to Into Club? I actually weirdly do. I mean, that that time, that whole time frame was, you know, I just uh, f- finished college and, and, um, so I know all the words to a lot of songs. Probably the most songs that I know all the words to are from that era, from that. much to my my children's dismay. Um, <laughs> what can you tell us? Is there anything the fans of Firefly Land can know about for a season two? Or, I mean, there's a pretty big couple of cliffhangers at the end of season one. Um, 
what, what, what do you know? Can you give us any details on dates or anything like that? So, so we don't know in terms of a season two, we don't know anything and my fingers and my toes and everything are so crossed. Uh, we'll have to keep an eye out for that then. Awesome. So that's Firefly Lane. And uh, once again, it's out on Netflix now. I'm sure if you log into your app or wherever you watch it, it's going to be like right there at the top of your screen if you haven't watched it yet. Uh, so definitely go ahead uh, and go watch that. But right now, let's get into the movies that changed Sarah Chalk's life. Three amazing movies that I'm excited for you to talk about. So let's kick it off with 2000's Best in Show, one of Actually, all three of your movies I like absolutely love, but this is a very oh, important one to me as well. Uh, it has a 7.5 out of 10 with 56,000 ratings on IMDb, directed by Christopher Guest, written by Christopher Guest and Eugene Levy, uh, starring Christopher Guest, Eugene Levy, Catherine O'Hara, Michael McKean, John Michael Higgins, a bunch of other people. And it is uh, a mockumentary, quote unquote, behind the scenes look into the competitive and cutthroat world of dog shows through the eyes of the dog show owners. Um, we've talked about Christopher Guest movies on this podcast before, but this is our first Best in Show discussion, so I'm excited to talk to you about it. Uh, so talk to me. When was the first time you saw Best in Show? Okay, Best in Show I saw when I think it was in my first, um, so I think it was the year before I got Scrubs. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it just kind of floored me. And obviously when we were, I was thinking about, you know, what, okay, what movies to pick for this conversation and, I mean, it wasn't a matter of, like, whether to pick a Christopher Guest movie, just which one (laughs) of all of them. Um, I can't believe him and his writing and his whole group. And, you know, they just had – his movies had such an impact on me because they just blew my mind. I mean, I – you know, watching them all, that his incredible cast in each of his films – improv and play off of each other and obviously the coolest part being that there's a through line where you know he loves his his team and works together with a lot of the same people and you get to see their chemistry just grow and grow and grow and um i uh you know was a huge fan of this is final tap and waiting for guffman and um love both of them um and and best in show i just feel like is one of those movies, Best in Show and Little Miss Sunshine, interestingly enough, like where they're such feel-good movies, they take you completely outside of yourself. I feel like during this pandemic, I've rewatched both of them. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and and Best in Show, I feel like, is one of those movies where if you're talking to somebody, you're like, they're like, oh, I don't really know what to watch tonight. I'm always like, Best in Show. <laughs> um, and I envy people their first viewing if they mm-hmm. haven't not seen it. <laughs> You have a dog yourself. So have you always been a dog lover? Uh, Was that sort of a a factor when you watch a show sort of being introduced into this world and seeing how maybe people aren't so weird with the way they treat their own dogs when you see see, see, uh, Best in Show? Oh, totally. I'm a huge, I mean, I've always, I grew up with dogs. I've always had dogs. Um, My family has um, fostered about 36 dogs uh, over our life (laughs) and kind of found homes for them. Um, And like, fostered for like a period of time. Sometimes it's been like, you know, a couple of weeks. One time we fostered a mom who had puppies and we fostered right after she had the puppies. The kids all, because it was my two kids and my sister's four kids. Mm -hmm. Um, They each kind of, you know, picked and named a puppy and tried to help that, you know, puppy along. And, and, uh, but yeah, we, I've always loved dogs and they've always been a huge part of my life. And so I definitely uh, can relate to that feeling of being, 
you know, obsessed with your pet. And that's what like I love about all Christopher Guest movies is that he takes something that seems very niche. Like I think Waiting for Guffman also very specifically does this in the same vein as Best in Show, where if you were ever in high school theater or like local theater, it doesn't seem that exaggerated to you waiting for Guffman. And Best in Show, like even <laughs> though most people aren't competitive dog trainers, everyone like he makes it relatable to where you understand where all these people are coming from. Like in Best in Show, whether it's, you know, they lose, they forget the busy bee and they think the dog's upset because it doesn't have his favorite toy. Like what dog owner hasn't done that? Like with their pet, right? Like he, he has a way of writing these completely absurd situations to be completely relatable, you know? Yes, I completely agree with you. There's, it's, it's taking um, something, yeah, that would feel so so uh, niche and not making it. Best in show is so many casts of characters uh, and duos. Do you have any that you are your favorites? And then do you have any that you personally connect with? Those could be two separate qu- answers or, or the same there. It's so hard to pick a favorite because I'm obsessed with all of them, but... <laughs> Catherine O'Hara is my idol, and I would love to get the opportunity to work with her one day and have always just been in awe of her. And I think, you know, Cookie and Jerry Fleck mm-hmm. in this, you know, are just so magnetic. And when they sing when God Loves the Terrier, it's terrier. one of my favorite <laughs> moments of the whole movie. Um, and uh, just the whole um, through line that she has slept with everyone in the world and that, you know, just sort of as they recognize her throughout the, the movie, um, so many of the, uh, the incredible, uh, best lines come, come out of that. Yeah. Yeah. What are, what are your favorite lines from the film? The, some of my favorite lines of dialogue, um, would be Fred Willard as Buck Laughlin, I mean, I just, I can't even imagine what I would have paid to be a fly on the wall where they were shooting his stuff. Cause I heard, right. I've heard that, that they, they shot that all out in just like a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And, um, and someone told me that, that he, like Fred Willard is the one that cracks up Christopher Guest more than anybody. You know, I got the chance to work with him when I was on Roseanne and I was very young and you know, brand new and had no idea what I was doing and had no business being there. But I would watch, you know, that whole cast and watching Fred Willard and Martin Mall work together was just mm-hmm. kind of mind blowing. Um, but um, but all of so all of Fred Willard's lines in this, but like one of my favorites is just an idea off the top of my head. Did they ever get like a Sherlock Holmes hat and the pipe um, <laughs> for the bloodhound to like really get the crowd going? <laughs> I personally love the scene with um, Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hare. They're visiting the friend, and he's oh the suicide God. negotiator. <laughs> yes. And he goes, well, how, how many do you save? He's like, well, that's what they don't tell you. They always jump. They never tell you that. They always <laughs> jump. And I'm like, oh, my God. It's just so unbelievable like how they like pull this off and just make it so funny, and they're not breaking. I mean, it's just perfection. Uh, it's perfection. Yeah. That is totally something that I, I – watch and every time I watch it I wonder like how are they so I mean they just don't break I mean there's a couple times like I feel like it was like once in this is spinal tap where Christopher Guest character breaks the fourth wall he just breaks and it's like the best thing ever to get to watch but for the most part like they just don't and some I wonder like how many takes yeah they have to do or do they just are they just able to be like just because I'm somebody who breaks I mean I think the longest gag reel footage of all time from Scrubs, it got to the point where like Donald and Zach, there was like one noise they could make 
that would break break me. It would have been like <laughs> a 15 hour day and the crew, everybody wanted to go home and I had too much coffee and was like got down to like just yeah, one little noise. Um, but yeah, they're they're all so just stone face. It's incredible. I mean, I'm gonna be bringing up Scrubs for basically all these movies here because Scrubs Scrubs was highly influential in in my life uh, as well. So I'm gonna bring it through. Um, but Scrubs, in a way that I feel like Christopher Guest is, is that Scrubs most people aren't doctors, but you relate to them uh, in like these very humanistic and like also like hilarious, funny ways. Do you think whether it's Catherine O'Hara or like like Best in Show, like did any of these performances sort of balancing out the comedy and the human emotion inspire your performance as, you know, Elliot uh, in Scrubs specifically? I think, you know, there's just a few women in my life that I watched that I just kind of uh, was in awe of. Mm -hmm. And yeah, Catherine O'Hara was absolutely one of them. Lisa Kudrow was another. Mm -hmm. And the season before... I got scrubs with me like I'm actually like a month before. Um, I'd never written anything down, like written anything down, like vision board style where somebody mm-hmm. was like, just write it down, write down what you want to do. And uh, because I just spent a pilot season in LA, I lived in Canada, but I went to LA for pilot season and it was, um, it was just such a crazy experience. I was there for two months. I lived in a salsa dance teacher's apartment. She would teach salsa there during the day. I would sleep there at night. I would go on. It was before email. So I would like, you know, drive to the agency 45 minutes for myself, drive back with the sides. And then they call me, oh, there's another one tomorrow. You drive back, pick up the next package of sides. And then you'd be like, you know, with your Thomas guide, pre-GPS, trying to find your way to like five auditions around Los Angeles. And you go through like four auditions and then network and then sign a contract and, you know, studio and then network. And it was, uh, it was just, it was one of the hardest experiences. And and someone was like, okay, after that, they're like, just write down exactly the kind of part you want to play and exactly the show that you want to be a part of. And I actually wrote down in there, like, you know, Lisa Kudrow and Catherine O'Hara and all my comedy idols. And I was like, I'd love to play a quirky kind of female role in a half hour comedy that, you know, and I just kind of put a lot of details in there. And um, so I've been a firm believer in writing things down ever since then. (laughs) Fantastic. Fantastic. I mean, again, the fun of the show is getting to hear how various actors or or films, you know, inspire some of my favorite actors and and things like that. So we're going to piece this together along the way, but that was a great little warm up for for, uh, best in show here. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Let's go on to your second pick, um, which is 2004's Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. 8.3 out of 10, 917,000 ratings on IMDb. Directed by Michelle Gondry, 
uh, written by Charlie Kaufman and Michelle Gondry, starring Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet. Uh, the plot of this movie is Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet. They're a couple. They meet each other, uh, and after a bad breakup, they decide to erase each other from each other's memories. So, uh, like I said, I'm kind of kind of weave scrubs into various things in here. So for me, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. When I watch that, and when I watch Scrubs, it transports me back to a very specific point in my life. Like I can see the music I was, I can hear the music I was listening to, see the clothes I was wearing, like see the people I was hanging out with. So these two movies, like the movie and the show, are like very much like connected to me on like a very deep personal level. Um, and it's not like they're, you know, obviously Eternal Sunshine, The Spotless Mind, and Scrubs are two very different like conceptually, but something about that era, and I guess like you know me coming of age during that time just hit me very specifically. So I'm very glad that this was on your list because it's not something I would have connected the two at the time. But when I saw them together, I'm like, it just brings me back and makes so much sense to me. So I I love to hear like, what are your, you know, why has this movie uh, made your list for for this episode? It made my list for this episode because when I was thinking about, okay, what's the list? What's the list going to be? And so many things just like flashed into my mind immediately in terms of forming who you are and why they mm-hmm. changed your life. And so, but Dead Poet Society immediately flashed in my mind because it was so inspiring and, you know, most amazing performance by Robin Williams. Jaws, for some reason, came right into my head <laughs> because I saw one, two, three, and four all within the same week and oh then my. couldn't get into a swimming pool. So that changed my <laughs> life in a, in a different way. Um, and, uh, but this one, I remember the feeling of seeing this movie in the theater and I remember the feeling of not being able to get up out of my seat. And it, it's one of those ones I'm so glad I got the opportunity to see it in the theater because it, you know, I remember like the audible kind of communal gasps mm. of the audience as we watched it. And um, it it just blew my mind. I mean, the whole way that the story was told with this non-linear storytelling and you had no idea what was what and what you thought was one thing you later find out is not in that first scene Mm -hmm. and those scenes where you're seeing the beginning, what you think is the beginning of this love story. And then you find out, Oh no, that's actually, you know, the second, that's then after (laughs) that's the second ending. And then the actual ending takes this turn that I didn't see coming at all. And it's obviously the most heartbreaking thing. Spoiler alert. Sorry. If nobody has seen eternal sunshine yet, you must turn this (laughs) off and go watch immediately and then start listening again. But, um, (laughs) you know, to have them, say, okay, we're going to do this again. And you're watching them. And like, I've never rooted more for two people. I don't think in a movie ever. And then you root for them, you root for them. And then it's going to happen. It looks like it's the most simultaneously heartbreaking um, moment because you know that they know what they're walking into and they know they're going to break each other's hearts again, but they're doing it anyways, because it's going to be worth it. And Mm -hmm. And and then there's part of you that goes, but maybe they won't this time. Maybe they will, (laughs) please, maybe they won't. Maybe it will have a different ending. Um, But, uh, but I just, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe all the rules could be broken like that. Um, I couldn't believe the DP and the way they shot it mm-hmm. and the the way they, the things they did with the camera. Um, it was stunning. Michelle Gondry, he's such a visual and like visionary director. Like I love his, even his music videos. <clears throat> like I love all of those too. They're so fantastic. But like for Eternal Sunshine, I mean, the way they capture the like when you're in a bad breakup or you're having like in, even if you're just in a fight with like your your partner and it feels like the world's collapsing around you 
I mean, he puts that yes. visually and it's so beautiful, right? Like he's, you know, Jim Carrey, he's trying to run away and like from what's happening around him and the world is literally falling apart. I mean, and it's just like, you know, watching this in 2004, I was like, I've never seen anything like this. And even now watching it like this week ahead of our conversation, I'm still like this movie not only looks great, but it's still, I think, like visually ahead of so many things that are coming out today that capture sort of what it feels like to have your heart broken and like, you know, your emotions kind of messed with it in such a perfect way, right? It's it's amazing. I totally agree. I think, you know, it holds up so much. I, I rewatched it this past week as well, and I hadn't seen it in over a decade. And I couldn't believe how there were so many pieces of it that I had forgotten. And, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, to watch a love story in reverse like that too was just such a, a crazy, unique experience. I couldn't believe all of the performances. I mean, to see Jim Carrey play that role, Kate Winslet Ugh. is one of my favorite actresses and I could watch her do anything. And mm -hmm. then Mark Ruffalo, I think that was the first thing I ever saw him in. And then yeah. he's like one of my, you know, obviously favorite actors now. Um, so you haven't seen this in 10 years. I mean, is there anything that stood out to you as different from like the last time you watched it or something you remember it by? For me, something that I caught on is like that I didn't really consider is like the complete disrespect that is happening to Jim Carrey while they're erasing his memories on how like Mark Ruffalo and Kristen Dunst are just yes. like partying. <laughs> to me, yes. I'm like, oh my God, I definitely when I was a teenager, I was like, like I did not process how like awful of a idea that is. But now watching it, I'm like, oh, that is like, that's crazy to think about that someone is doing a, a, a procedure that is so effective in their life and like literally life-changing and they're just dancing all over him and stuff was there anything you oh caught? totally and talk about disrespect i mean elijah would like he his character he literally steals his right his stuff to make him to to, to to woo her and to make her yeah. fall in love and he's like impersonating her and here you've gone to this place and you've given over your whole you know emotional self and all of the things um and and yeah totally that moment uh where they're they're dancing on the bed around him yeah. and and because for me that was one of the most memorable moments of the movie was and the most painful is when he realizes that he doesn't want to do this mm -hmm. and he doesn't want to erase clementine and is trying to get out of it. So when you have that juxtaposed with like the dancing on the bed and like, you know, Elijah's character running to go and woo her some more, um, uh, it was so, yeah, just so painful. Were there any other favorite moments or, or, or sequences from the film? I mean, that moment where she says, meet me in Montauk. And it's just, yeah. I hadn't seen it in 10 years. I'm like, oh, they're going to go, they're going to go there. And, and, um, I mean, the art direction in that movie is perfection. Mm -hmm. Like, just watching it this much later, just watching like, I mean, in every shot, you know, how, how, how it's framed, the, the, the art design's incredible, the, you know, it feels like every color of wardrobe and hair and background of the curtain and the tablecloth <laughs> and, um, is, uh, just so it's perfection. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it just captures again, like scrubs. I mean, something I think about is the, um, the My Hero or My Best Friend episode, spoilers for people who haven't watched Scrubs, when Brendan Fraser, you find out he's he's dead the whole time. I connect that with Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind also. It's just like sort of like a gut punch of something I watched in high school that kind of like, uh, this sounds dramatic, but it's true, like sort of like emotionally kind of pushed me forward like as like 
a human being because it's these like dealing with time and loss in two different ways, but it's still something that like I hadn't really processed as, you know, whatever 16 when I was watching this, but connected there. And I think both of those moments are, are, are you know, very impactful for me. So again, I, I, I love that we got to chat about this. Uh, oh, that's yeah. so cool. That's so yeah. cool. And that's so like this, when you say that Brendan, Brendan Fraser moment, mm-hmm. like I immediately, when I picture it, I hear Josh Radin's song winter. Mm. Um, and I feel the same with eternal sunshine, like the music and the score and mm-hmm. it is so incredible. And John Bryan did such an amazing job. And I remember right around that time we would, you know, go to Largo and see him, in these cool shows where like he, John Bryan would perform. And then it was, it'd be like a bunch of just really talented people all in one night. It was like John Bryan, Amy Mann, and then like comedians. I think Zach Galifianakis would get up and do something. Mm. And um, so I thought he did an amazing job. That was Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. So I know we can talk about all these for, for forever. I'm sure <laughs> it's, it's brutal cutting them off every time. Trust me. Uh, <laughs> I, would, I know. I would, I was about an hour speaking with all of these with you. Um, but let's move on to uh, our la- your last pick. So this is 2006's Little Miss Sunshine, uh, 7.8 out of 10, 441,000 ratings on IMDb. This is directed by Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris, written by Michael Arndt, starring Steve Carell, Tony Collette, Greg Kinnear, Paul Dano, Abigail Breslin, and Alan Arkin. Um, for those who haven't seen it, a family is determined to get their young daughter, played by Abigail Breslin, into the finals of a beauty pageant while taking a cross-country trip in their VW bus. So talk to me about Little Miss Sunshine. Little Miss Sunshine, I remember as one of those experiences where I went to the Arclight with my best friend, and I remember we brought our, we had movie socks. So like <laughs> when we needed like a perfect experience, we would bring our snacks, we'd have the bright dark chocolate, um, we'd go to the Arclight, movie theater where they had that best gift shop, <laughs> the best quotes, the best quotable cards. And I'm a sucker for quotable cards and the best <laughs> mugs. And we would get like two teas each because one was not enough. So we get like, like, like two Earl Greys and we'd have our dark chocolate. And then we would, we would literally pull out like these fluffy movie socks and put those on. <laughs> and, and Little Miss Sunshine, I just, um, it was one of those movies that stuck with me and that I've absolutely watched as a pandemic, you know, uplifting film mm-hmm. um, because it's like, it earns the fact that it's so uplifting, you know, mm-hmm. like it really, it's not, it, it really, it earns it. Like by the end when they have that moment, which is one of the best scenes in movie history of all time, I think, where they're up on that stage dancing with Abigail Breslin. Um, you know, it's such a complicated, dysfunctional, painful, family and 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 they just they just earn the feel good part i think more than any other movie i mean there's so many moments that are just like heartbreaking for this family along the way i mean for me i remember the first time i watched it when paul dano's character finds out he's colorblind and he cannot fly in the air force i like again just like as a high school kid watching this hearing your dream just like shattered in one second is just like a nightmare i mean not even just for kids but just for anybody right i mean and Paul Dano's just like amazing when he just has to freak out in the car and he runs down, he finally breaks his vow of silence. Like it's it's beautiful and, and painful. Um, but beyond that, like every character has such relatable, like relatable dreams being broken. Is that the right way to say it? For whatever <laughs> yes. age you're at, right? Like, you know, the the parents, whether it's their divorce or Greg Kinder's job not working out. I mean, 
has has that sort of your relation to the film kind of aged along with like as far as time has passed since the film as well? Yeah, that's such an interesting question. I think it totally has both watching it as, you know, a parent. Mm-hmm. The first time I saw it, I was not a parent. Right. And I think that the the pain that you feel, um, you know, wanting things for your kids, the, you know, the fact that you're really trying to do your best and you have no idea, you, you know, you're always completely out of your depths. You're always one step behind because you're always handling something that you've never handled before. So watching Tony Collette, you know, deal with the fact that, um, Paul Dano's character is not speaking right now <laughs> and they are being respectful of that moment. And then, you know, when, when he's, you know, screams all these awful things at her and as a mother, you're like, Oh God. Um, and, and I completely agree with you about that moment being one of the most incredible, memorable ones of the film. Um, like punctuated by Abigail Breslin going down there and just putting her arm on him yeah. around him. And then that's what turns it around for him. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that was probably the biggest uh, difference for me was watching it, you know, mm-hmm. as a as a mother. This era of film that you're obviously connected to, given, you know, Eternal Sunshine and Little Miss Sunshine specifically, and then I think Scrubs also fits in there. Um, is there something like about the way like this storytelling, because this is sort of before like indie movies were like really cool. Do you think there's influence of Little Miss Sunshine in the current era of like indie film? I totally do. And I think it's so crazy that this was, I think it's so unbelievable that this is Jonathan Dayton, Valerie Ferris's first movie and their directorial mm-hmm. debut. And it was the screenwriter's first yeah. script, right? Yeah, so, Michael Arndt. Michael Arndt. So I think that's, um, you know, when you picture the movie, you just picture those iconic shots of the Vida bus, you know, going through the desert and, and the, the family just pushing. like all pushing the van and then running and jumping in. And you just keep like rooting for them more and more and more. And then it builds and builds and builds until finally, you know, they're just like leaving that pageant behind and you're just like, you know, jumping out of your seat cheering. Um, but I, I definitely think it, it does. I mean, just how, how, it really walked the whole movie walked that tightrope between the comedy and the pain mm-hmm. and 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 could so seamlessly like go between the two and um you know just when you're laughing about something then it's flipped on its head and it's something super dark and painful and real and then they've got you laughing again mm-hmm. um it's quite a it's i thought it was amazing how they they crafted that. I'm glad you brought up the VW bus because obviously <clears throat> on the surface level, the video, but VW bus is just a cool car to do like a cross country right. road trip in. But I mean, it's the perfect allegory for their life, right? They're having to start and stop it. Their life just feels like it's falling apart. They need things to fix it, but they're not really sure how to fix it. Uh, it's something that everyone can relate to, right? I mean, having a broken car, sure, but having their life feel like it's just like starting and stopping, for you, like as an actress, I'm sure like every, you know, young actor has this feeling. Do you do you have any like uh, comparisons to that moment when you were coming up as an actor, feeling like you had to like start and stop so many times until you finally got that that bus <laughs> rolling on your end? Oh, totally. I mean, right, literally right from the get go, like my my whole beginning was a start and stop because <laughs> my sister and I were doing these musical theater classes and then we had to audition for it because they were going to be performing. 
And so I remember we auditioned. My sister and her best friend both got in and they called her to tell her she got it. She got the lead. She's a year older than me. And her first thing she said on the phone was, great, what about Sarah? And they said, yeah, no, we don't. No, thank you. We don't want her. And so she said, oh, then I don't want to do it. And What so a sister. My goodness. I hung up the phone. I know. And then they called back five minutes later and they were like, okay, yeah, fine. We'll take the sister as well. And so my sister, Natasha, she had the lead and she, you know, was in this like beautiful, long flowing outfit and had like long blonde hair down to all the way down her back. And I was in this tiger mask with two other actors in tiger masks wearing all black. And we were standing at the back of the stage, kind of with our tiger claws up, just like moving side to side. <laughs> and I was like, I'm in heaven. I'm like, I'm doing it. I'm up here. I'm on stage. This is it. And, um, and then, uh, moving forward, um, cutting forward, a about a decade, I got the Roseanne audition and it was again, like so exciting. It was a series of four auditions and it ended mm-hmm. with, you know, auditioning throws Roseanne on the couch in the infamous couch on that mm-hmm. set. And I remember getting the phone call that I got the part and it just sounded like a lie. Like it just sounded ridiculous. I mean, it didn't even make any sense. It was the number one show on TV at the time I was living in Canada. And I remember telling a couple people and it kind of spread around our high school, like crazy. Mm-hmm. And then Monday I got a call after the weekend saying we're having cold feet about switching Becky's. Mm. So if we do it, it's going to be you, but, um, we're going to put you on hold for four months while we decide. <laughs> so again, it was another stop and start. And I was like, Oh shit, my ass is grass in high school because right. it just Everyone sounded knows. so ridiculous. <laughs> like I'm going to be Becky on the Roseanne show. And then it's like, well, I'm probably going to be, but we're waiting four months. They'd be like, yeah, right. sure. Um, luckily they did decide to go through with their plan. Yeah. And then even a more, um, you know, painful and hard as a kid to process stop and start was, um, Lisey played Becky one to five. I played Becky for six and seven. Then Lisey came back to play Mm -hmm. Becky, um, beginning of season eight. And, and then I ended up coming back for the last year and a half. But I remember getting that first phone call in between in the middle. And as a kid, that's just, you know, so confusing and, uh, and hard to, um, process. And I remember, um, apparently I don't remember this, but apparently I said, well, I'm going to need to talk to Roseanne for closure. (laughs) And I was like 18 or something. (laughs) (laughs) And so I did, and she was so kind and sweet on the phone. And she was just like, you know, um, you know, this is not personal and Lisey grew up on the show and she's going to, and she's ready to come back. And so that anyways, as it turned out, I ended up doing it after that for the last year and a half, but it was, yes, it was, there were definitely, um, stoppy and starty, uh, moments for sure. Well, it's funny that you were a tiger because that, uh, Abigail Preston's character, she has roar and tiger energy throughout Little Miss Sunshine, right? She does. And isn't it like, that's one of my favorite moments. I mean, just watching her and Alan Arkin's uh, relationship throughout the whole movie is one of my favorite parts of it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when they're practicing the growl and then when it all comes together at the end in the scene, when she's crawling right. on her crawling knees and she's growling, you're like, that's what he was teaching her the growl for. <laughs> like I said, as much as I'd love to talk about all three of these films for hours long, uh, we have to come to a wrap on this. But before we go, I love asking, so you chose Best in Show, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and Little Miss Sunshine. Um, do you see a through line between these three films as to why you selected them uh, to talk about today? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I think 
for me, the through line feels like the, the is the feeling mm. that I sat with after. Like they were the ones that kind of flashed in my mind, you know, when, when I was trying to put this list together, it was like that feeling of how they, they, they just moved you and, and impacted you and kind of, you know, left me in awe. I mean, I was in awe of all of the improv that was going on in Best in Show and that level of, of talent um, and just in awe of the storytelling in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and how they did that. And I can't believe someone's brain can mm-hmm. write like that. And then with Little Miss Sunshine, in awe of that ensemble cast. I mean, they just, I could watch them forever. Yeah. Uh, this was a ton of fun. It's so, it's the funnest podcast to do because it actually like, it just makes you reflect so much on, yeah, just your life and how how all these movies affected you. For me, you chose a bunch of movies that are very impactful for me and Scrubs was a TV show that changed my life. So I really am honored that I got to speak with you about these titles and to you about this. Um, but uh, for folks who need to see you just in more stuff, Firefly Lane out right now on Netflix. No word on season two yet, but we're crossing a bunch of uh, fingers and toes for that. Um, anything else for people who haven't seen Firefly Lane yet, uh, but you you got to get them to go. What, what's your elevator pitch for them? My elevator pitch is um, go watch it. You'll laugh and you'll cry and you'll want to pull out all of your um, 80s stirrup pants and shoulder pads and your curling iron and tease your hair again and uh, take a walk down memory lane. I enjoy this walk down memory lane with you. So thank you so much for hanging out and uh, we will talk soon. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to head over to imdb.com slash podcasts for more content on Sarah and to easily add the movies that changed her life to your IMDb watch list. 